We have the ability to adapt the way that we're using the world's resources. We're just not rolling it out rapidly enough. I don't think we can afford to carry on as we are with our bad business as usual. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Fox. But what is the Age of Plastic podcast? Well, it's an environmental podcast hosted by me, a broadcaster with a little bit of eco-anxiety. If that rings a bell for you, then welcome along. This is where we delve into issues, not just plastic, to do with our environment and the part that we play in making things better. Now, someone who's been playing their part for a very long time now on our screens here in the UK is Chris Packham, the world-renowned naturalist, CBE, nature photographer, TV presenter and author. I got some time with him at the end of last year to talk about the National Lottery-funded Flows to the Future project, which restored one of Europe's largest expanses of bogland in Catalyst and Sunderland that had been damaged by forestry planting. And to congratulate Millie Revel Hayward from the Flows to the Future project, who'd had some artwork to honour her work in the Flows to the Future at the iconic Eden project. We will have a little bit of an eco life hack at the end of today's episode, as always, and a bit of an update on what you can expect from the Age of Plastic podcast in 2023. But first up, here is the very, very youthful looking 61-year-old Chris Packham. So first things first, I haven't seen this brilliant artwork honouring this amazing environmentalist, Millie. So can you just describe it for us? Because I know it has CO2 absorbing paint, which sounds incredibly exciting to me. Yeah. Okay. Um so the artist Jody Thomas has, has created this artwork and it's reflecting the hexagonal domes of the Eden project where it's going to be uh, unveiled. Um, so each one of the panels represents Millie, who's painted over some of them in two-dimensional form, but also some of the species that she's been so actively conserving in the flow country, the peatlands, blanket bogs of northern Scotland. So there's a hen harrier, there's golden plover, there's a buzzard, and there's also some sphagnum moss and other uh, botanical treats from that particular habitat. But central to that is a a portrait of Millie. Uh, National Lottery uh, have commissioned four of these. This is the heritage one, heritage being our future in this instance. and Clyde tied closely into climate change, because aside from the astonishing biodiversity, the richness of life and, and beautiful wildlife that lives in this area, of course, those blanket bogs are really important when it comes to carbon sinks. All of that peat is holding uh, a lot of carbon in storage and keeping it from getting into the atmosphere and contributing to our, our climate. So from my point of view, it's a it's a triple win here. It's an exciting piece of art, um, sustainably produced, found materials, carbon, uh, CO2 absorbing paint, which is fantastic. Um, celebrating uh, Millie Revel Hayward, who's a, a, a young conservationist, driven, passionate, informed, working in an area close to where she's grown up, community, we, we like that, and all supported by the um, <clears throat> National Lottery, who have been enormously generous when it comes to conservation and environmental care over the years. £30 million a week that they're they're giving out in terms of grants. And I have to tell you, over the years, I've supported so many of their projects, uh, everything from inner city allotments to hides on nature reserves. The list is almost endless. And without that generosity, then conservation and environmental care in the UK wouldn't have made the progress that it has. So, yeah, for me, it's a really exciting thing. Yeah, I had to say, I was not aware of that. Shame on me that that amazing stat, about £30 million every week, going to good causes from the National Lottery. But you you mentioned there that you've been involved in quite a lot of projects. This, another one you are happy to be involved in. What's your sort of checklist for those projects that you are happy to, to back for you personally? 
Well, I mean, I, at this point, I'm really keen to champion young people at this point. I find them really inspirational in the fact that they're clear thinking, clear speaking, clear acting. They're not risk averse. And they've recognized that our generations are, are leaving them a world which is in a mess, a mess that we didn't inherit. So I'm 61 years old and I've been working actively. You look in- great for it, Chris. I must just interject there at that point. <laughs> right, OK, that's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always feel great for it, I've got to tell you. But, um, uh, the uh, so I mean I've been working as hard as I can and other conservationists environmentalists of, of that generation my generation have but we've largely failed we we know that we live in one of the, the most nature depleted set of nations in the world um, we've just had our hottest summer when it comes to you know broader issues and we know that we're facing terrible biodiversity loss both here and and around the world uh, WWF published a report a couple of weeks ago saying that we'd lost 69 percent of the world's wildlife since 1970 and I remember 1970 like it was yesterday so on my watch there have been big losses lots of damage so part and parcel of my duty now is to make sure that i can invest as heavily as possible in those younger generations who are going to have to deal with the problems we're leaving them with and when i see people like millie revel hayward uh, who is symbolic of a generation of young people who have recognized the urgency and who are standing up to do something about it in a very capable way I think it's time that we we do celebrate them, which is what the National Lottery are helping us to do with these people's portraits. Um, but we also trust them to, to make decisions about their future, about uh, their world. Yeah. And you talk about the biodiversity loss. It is terrifying. And even in, in sort of my lifetime, we I think about the old thing of bugs on car windscreens and you don't see that anymore. And do you feel like, as you mentioned, the record breaking um, 40 degree temperatures in the UK over this summer. Do you feel like that has focused minds in the UK towards environmental issues or not? I think it's beginning to. I, I still think that we're living a, a little bit cosy when it comes to climate change in the UK. We we see terrible disasters on, on, on mainstream media. Pakistan, a third of the nation flooded. Unbelievable. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Um, Australia on fire, California on fire, Greece Portugal on fire. Um, it's all a little bit over there and not in our own backyard yet. What is in our backyard are some of the changes, food prices, which are influenced by climate, of course. Um, so we're beginning to feel the pinch a little bit. I think when that pinch tightens, um, then we will act more forthrightly in the UK. I, I think that the general public at the moment, I mean, not that the public haven't been in, 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 impacted by it. There are people who've lost their homes and businesses because of climate related um, you know, events in the UK. And, and we must exercise, you know, sympathy for them, but not broadly enough. And I think that's the thing about humanity. Very often we have to trip over before we fix the pavement. Um, you know, we did, we knew that we were vulnerable to a, a pandemic. You know, we could have um, been a lot more preventive when it came to COVID, but we weren't, we were negligent. But when it kicked in, within eight months, we'd come up with a vaccine to address that 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 virus, um, which has saved millions of lives. So sadly, millions were lost. But we we we're we're good at cure, not so good at prevention. And I think that says a lot about the UK public at the moment. You know, we're we're still not doing you know rolling out the prevention when we have the opportunity. I fear that we might have to fix it when it really hurts us. Yeah, and you touched on something there, which has come up on the podcast before, which is often an argument that people say to me. Um, that humans are incredibly inventive when fo- when faced with a problem. But as you say, 
it's slightly sort of in our peripheral vision for lots of us, especially here in the UK at the moment. What do you sort of say to people who are like, well, humans will we'll, we'll work out a way to live with climate change. Technology might save us. We'll come up with a technology. We'll put gas into the air. We'll rely on Elon Musk and his um, batteries to save us. Mm, I, I wouldn't rely on Elon at, at this point. He's, he's firing rockets to Mars and seems to think we might get off of this planet. I, I wish he were concentrating more on fixing the planet that we had. Um, nevertheless, um, I, I, look, if the technologies were there, they were tried and tested and working, then I would say, OK, we can exercise some reliance on those. But carbon capture, when it comes to that technology, isn't working. It, we've got several plants, experimental plants around the world that are running, and they're not delivering any any of their targets, any of them. So that we're not at that point where we have that, that technology. So we have to rely on the methods that we know that work. And they mean changing the way that we live. So that's no more fossil fuels. That's no more exploration and a transition to move away from our reliance on fossil fuels to, to renewables. That's addressing the, the issue of biodiversity um, loss. Now, biodiversity loss sounds like, oh, dear, the tigers are dying out and there's a few less elephants. Well, they or are. pandas, as I know you've spoken about a lot in the past. Pandas, indeed. Well, all of all life, but we're dependent on ecosystem services, Earth, and ecosystems have to be functional. We can't just keep pulling out species and they become extinct. And we're thinking that things are going to carry on as they are. And if they don't carry on as they are, then the soils won't work and they won't produce our food. And if we heave all of the fish out of the sea through overfishing, then there won't be any there tomorrow. So we, we, we have the ability to adapt the way that we're using the world's resources. Uh, we're just not rolling it out urgently and rapidly enough. And certainly that's why I don't think we can afford to carry on as, as we are uh, with our bad business as usual, and hope that something technological comes to our assistance in the future, because it isn't going to be a rocket to Mars, and I'm prepared to bet my life on that. Yeah, or you and me wouldn't be able to afford a ticket, even if there was, I imagine, right? Exactly. Not that we would want to get on it. A short interlude in the podcast now to remind you that we can't all do this alone. If we want to divest from fossil fuels like plastic, we need everyone and all companies on board. So if you want to find out what the companies you use are up to when it comes to sustainability, but you don't know where to start, there's a handy form that you can download and use to email to any company. You'll find it on my website, iamandreafox.co.uk back to today's episode. So talking about being hopeful, we've had a lot of changes of governments at the moment. How are you feeling um, hopefulness wise in terms of UK governments? Well, you've got to give them a chance. I, I think there is reason to be suspicious. Uh, you know, Rishi Sunak wasn't going to go to the COP until he had to perform a screeching U-turn due to public and, and, and political outcry. That wasn't a good sign. Um, some of his appointments, uh, uh, when it comes to his staff, uh, don't bode well because of uh, you know previous appointments and, and, and actions. But look, they've only been there a couple of weeks. Let's give them a chance. Let's see what happens. There was no doubt that uh, an attack on nature was going to be rolled out under the previous structure of the previous governments. Let's see whether this one is going to address that. I think that we have to remain guarded and we have to remain vigilant to the extent that what we tend to forget sometimes is that, you know, all of these people are our elected representatives. At some stage, someone has put a cross in a box. And that means that they are there to serve us, to represent us. So we do have the right to, to peacefully and democratically remind them of what we want them to do, like 
go to the cop and and do something meaningful whilst you're there um, and then on a, on a more domestic front um, you know make those meaningful changes that we know need to be made in the UK we don't want fracking we don't want further fuel our fossil fuel exploration we want to a transition away from that and we want to see people exercising and investing in that transition you know putting money into renewables rather than taking it out has been has been happening with previous governments yeah so we are speaking as a cop is starting what are your personal hopes for the conference what do you want to see come out of it it's been called the pull your finger out conference we had the discussion of what needs to be done last time yeah um Curiously, for an environmentalist, I'm probably most focused, like many others, on the economic aspects of it. Um, what's very clear is that the developed nations need to put their hands in their pockets and pay uh, the developing nations uh, who can't afford to, to make the changes that we can. Um, and, and, and that sort of equality, economic equality, is absolutely essential. Now, there have been previous pledges of trillions of dollars going in that direction, but none of those pledges have been met. I think now when we look at, you know, nations who are severely impacted by climate change at this point, unlike perhaps, you know, the UK, um, it's really important that we start to make sure we're shifting that money in the right direction. And that the one thing that we've all got to recognise it for all of the lines in the sand and, and, and the flags, um, we are one species on one planet with one big problem. And only together, I think, will we make a big enough difference to sort it out. Yeah. And touching on plastic, then finally, the uh, title of this podcast is, as I mentioned, a gateway issue for so many people. But it's such a huge issue, which, uh, off, you know, I think at last COP, they said, don't overlook the issue of plastic. It's filling our oceans when you think of fishing. What's, what's your sort of opinion on plastic? Are you able to live a plastic free life at home? <laughs> Well, we do what we can. We minimise the amount of plastic that we acquire, if you like, mm. um, and, and we scream when there's no choice but, but acquire that plastic. Uh, we scream when it's not recyclable plastic and we do what we can to recycle it. Although, of course, we've all become very suspicious of how much of that plastic is recycled and how much of it is unfortunately shipped overseas to be burned in landfill. So I think we, we are you know, as vigilant as possible. We conduct an, an audit. We did the big plastic count um, and we and we looked, you know, at, at the plastic that came into our household. Um, and, you know, initially I was feeling quite smug because I was putting it all in a bag uh, to, to be recycled. And then I sort of thought I'll store it all and then I'll and then I'll do my audit. I'll take it all out and have a look at it. And initially for the first few days, hardly anything in there. And then all of a sudden it started to fill up. So there is too much plastic. There's too much pack packaging. You know, we still for all of the work and all the awareness that we've generated about plastic waste in, in the last few years, you can still go into a supermarket and see apples and, um, and all sorts of things which come in their own packaging wrapped in plastic. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things. I think you just got to keep our finger on the pulse. We've got to keep driving the issues home. The minute you stop talking about it, people forget about it because there's so much competition for attention in our world. But we've made we've made progress, and and some people took it a lot more seriously than others. Supermarkets like Iceland had took it, you know, a, a real drive to minimise plastic uh, uh, packaging and potential waste. And then litter is another thing. People think that you know that if they drop litter in a city. Um, it will be swept up and taken away. And I don't know what they imagine might be doing, but it, it can go down the drain. Mm. There is no filter between the drain and the river. And there's no filter between the river and the sea. That, that plastic you drop 
in a, in a city center can end up in the body of a seabird or a cetacean somewhere in the world's oceans. And, and, and again, it's making that connection for people so that they realize their own actions have repercussions, basically. Yeah, definitely. Even things like cigarette butts, people don't seem to think that that is plastic waste or it now, um, those non-reusable vapes as well, which you see littering everywhere. We've had um, the big plastic count on the podcast as well. Um, yeah, great, great uh, everyday plastic, great group. And you talk about screaming there. I wanted to get on to protesting. There's been a lot of environmental protests in the past few years. How do you think we can persuade people to become more involved in either environmental campaigning or caring for the environment in their own communities or protests if that's how they choose to voice their their worries? Well, I think it's time for everyone to be an activist. Um, it's just a question of picking your level of activism. Um, you may be comfortable with signing petitions. You may be comfortable starting with podcasts, starting <laughs> podcasts, or doing the big plastic count. You know, things like that. What I would say to to everyone at the moment is that whatever your level of comfort, step up one, because it isn't working at the moment, and we all need to raise our game. So if you are a petition signer, maybe you should actually get a banner and go on a peaceful walk. I'm not suggesting that you block the road, get arrested or glue yourself to anything. Um, if you're already, you know, you know, on those demonstrations, maybe you're at the stage where the step up is blocking a road, getting arrested and gluing yourself to something. But, you know, we we just all have to step up out of our comfort zone because our method at the moment is not making a big enough difference rapidly enough. And we're fortunate at this point, despite obviously the threat of the police and crime bill and 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 the some of the the content of that that we are able to peacefully and democratically demonstrate and we know that non-direct uh, uh you know uh, action works when it comes to demonstration we've seen it with civil rights suffragettes and everything else throughout history so i think sometimes the other thing is that if we are frustrated uh, by the methods of some of our demonstrators let's just before we start to criticise them too vehemently, let, let's think about what motivates them. What, what motivates someone to climb precariously onto a bridge or to glue themselves to an artwork and risk arrest and, and imprisonment? Largely, I think it's, it's concern, if not real fear for their future. That's what motivates these people. And they are informed, they've listened to the scientists and they're frightened about what they've been told. So they may be inconveniencing you, but the reason they're doing so, I think, has has great validity. Yeah. And two quick questions to finish. I always ask our guests, environmental heroes, who inspires you? I'm sure you are an inspiration to many, many, many people. Out oh, I've, got, I've, I've got to say, it's young people like Millie. Um, you know, it, I, I'm more inspired more rapidly and more often by young people that I see speaking out and doing things now. You know, they, they, ha they are finding a platform to utilise their voices and they are speaking clearly and concisely and they are beginning to hold us all to account. Mm. And, and that's fantastic. So I spend a good part of my time trying to build platforms to put these people on so that I can shimmy off to the shadows and let them do their good work. So I, I would say it's those young people that I find most inspiration. Yeah. And one quick question as well to finish. Plastic is a useful item. We're just destroying the planet by using it in the wrong way. Any plastic item in your life that you are thankful for? Plastic item in my life. Maybe some I'm binoculars, possibly. I know it's a tough one, but I like to be pragmatic <laughs> about yeah. problems. Yeah. Now, let me think of one thing then. Okay. I'm going to say my dog leads because they are made of nylon. Um, they're not leather. Um, but we did 
I think long ago might have had some leather ones, but I'm vegan. So the process for me is transition. I didn't dump everything leather when I decided to go fully vegan. I've replaced it with alternatives as and when it's worn out. Um, So I have two nylon dog leads, which stop my beautiful dogs, uh, Sid and Nancy, from coming to any grief. And I rely on on the strength of those leads that, you know, my dogs are the most important organisms in my life. I can keep them under control with those two lengths and strips of plastic. And, and so that has to be, for me, that's the best two bits of plastic in my life. Amazing. Long may that nylon last. Thank you ever so much for your time, Chris. Really appreciate it today. Hope the Thanks. rest of the interviews go well. Lovely chatting to you. All right. Cheers, Andrea. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Covered so much in that episode. Really, really grateful for Chris Packham's time. Still can't believe that I'm talking to such amazing people on the Age of Plastic podcast. On to today's Eco Life Hack. Now, you know I try not to make these things that we can buy because we're not going to buy our way out of the climate crisis. But if you haven't heard of the brilliant campaigner Less Waste Laura, make sure that you do. I don't smoke and I don't vape. I'm a voiceover. It will be career suicide. But plenty of people do. I was not even aware that there are such things as disposable vapes. Users in the UK are throwing around two disposable vapes every second that is 1.3 million per week less waste laura is hoping to ban these disposable vapes because you can get reusable ones can't you if you do want to vape they are hazard to the environment you can find out more about her petition to ban disposable vapes and how you can help at lesswastelaura.com and i'll put the link in the show notes Now, yes, I have been a little bit absent. Thank you ever so much for noticing. Thank you to people that have reached out, all the socials and how you can get in contact or just drop me an email and ask a question about anything eco-related, the podcast. Just have a chat. They're all wherever you are listening right now. I have to make a living, guys, and I got a really exciting job doing some teaching of my day job. Yep. I am a lecturer, part-time lecturer in commercial music radio. I've really enjoyed it, but it just gave me no space for the podcast. So I had to really think about how I'm going to take the podcast forward. And I think what I'm going to try and do is be here for you every single week. But that might not necessarily always be a new episode. It might be a little snippet of an old episode. It might be putting out old episodes with a new little introduction. I hope that that is acceptable to you but I think it is probably the way that I'm going to be able to stick around and not just disappear for months on end. Let me know what you think. As I mentioned, all the contact details, wherever you are listening right now. I think I've got to come up with a new sign-off for 2023, so let's workshop a few now. Um, Wash your recycling. (laughs) Wash your hands. Don't forget to vote, even as they make it harder. Look after yourself. Get some rest. We can't protect the planet if we are burnt out. Oh, yeah, I like that one. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll chat to you next week on the Age of Plastic podcast.